maybe back door, maybe fall off. Sipping codeine, cause I gotta kill a cow. Let me sit sideways in the big bins. Oh, you boys, they my brothers, they my friends. The game may be over, but they are just getting started. Raw and unfiltered, this is the OU Insider staff, and this is the Under the Visor postgame podcast. to another OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners post-game podcast. My name is Brandon Drum. I'm here with Parker Thune, and we are in Omaha, Nebraska, after driving back from, I, I, I want to say it, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to say the A word. I'm going to say a butt kicking. The butt kicking that commenced, because it really, it was nasty. Hey, way to keep it PG. But it, it, it was an ass kicking. I'm going to say it, but I'm going to say it quietly. I'm not going to yell it. But it was. And Lincoln, Nebraska, 49-14 Oklahoma Sooners dominated the Nebraska Cornhuskers. My goodness. And, folks, I don't care what anybody says. This defense is for real. It's for real. I'm calling it. I'm not calling national title or anything like that. Hold your horses. Fans that want to get all crazy. But this team's for real. They're good. And, look, Nebraska's not great. They're not that bad. Oklahoma made them look that bad, Parker. They made them look that bad. Because Nebraska's offense been, the first three weeks of their season, they have been one of the best offenses in college football. Here's what I would say, Brandon, regarding this football game. My knee-jerk reaction is, heading into it, we all thought, okay, we kind of don't really know anything. Just based on how the week has transpired, how there was so much uncertainty regarding how the Huskers were going to respond to the firing of Scott Frost and the installment of Mickey Joseph as interim head coach. We didn't really know how good of a team Oklahoma was after playing UTEP and Kent State. That's not a great barometer, right? I leave this game and I feel like I still know basically nothing, right? Because, yes, it was a very impressive performance by Oklahoma. And there is something to be said for showing up and drubbing a team the way that they did for 60 minutes today. Yes. That game was not as close as the 49 to 14 score indicated. And Nebraska played some really bad football. Their offensive line was atrocious. Their defense was porous. But you look back at Nebraska over the last year and a half, two seasons, and nobody's put it on them, Oklahoma did. So it makes you wonder, doesn't it? 
because all, a lot of the discourse on social media was about how bad Nebraska looked, which is true. But if Nebraska really is that bad, why hasn't anybody done that to them in so long? Yeah. So on the one hand, my eyes tell me, hey, that's a really, really inept football program that the Sooners just showed up and took care of business against, as they should. But on the other hand, I look at it from a different angle and I say, is Nebraska really that bad? Or did Oklahoma just play that well that they made Nebraska look that bad? The last 13 losses that they've had have been by single digits. Yeah. Last 13 losses have been by single digits. This is the first time in 13 losses that somebody's beat them by 10 or more points. And you're talking about Michigan. You're talking uh, Ohio State, Penn State. Like, these aren't cupcakes. Iowa, like these are good football programs, right? Good football programs. Nebraska's been toe-to-toe with them. And Oklahoma comes into Nebraska, Lincoln, September 17, 2022, and just rails them. Just rails them. It, it was it, – and look, it, it started off a not-so-good game for Oklahoma. But still, like I said earlier, to do what they did, and we'll get we'll get into that start here in just a second. But to do what they did against the number twenty three going into this week, the number twenty three overall offense in college football, Nebraska has been averaging four hundred and ninety two yards a game. Do you want to know what Oklahoma did to them? Honestly, like, do you want to know me yards? They put up on Oklahoma, Parker, because I'm going to tell you. I got it pulled up right now. Nebraska was held to 327 yards, literally 172 yards less than what they normally get. And let's be honest. They got probably 150 of those yards against Oklahoma's second-team defense. When Oklahoma decided – they weren't going to go blitzing. They were just playing <laughs> They were playing standard defense against Nebraska. And, just and that right them. there, that right there, Brandon, is why you watch the games. That is why you pay attention to what actually happens on the football field. Because if you just look at the box score, it does not do justice to how one-sided this game was and to how oh, dominant wow. Oklahoma was defensively. If you just looked at the total yards, you'd say, okay, yeah, Nebraska had some success moving the ball. They did not. They did not. They moved the ball very effectively on the first drive. But after that, Brent Venables gave us the rundown of each of their drives from that first one on Mm -hmm. in his postgame press conference. And I can't remember exactly, but it was something like punt, punt, downs, punt, fumble, punt, downs, interception, punt. all the way until their final drive of the game where they finally got it in the end zone again. So again, again, you go back to it. The statistics, the box score, the numbers, Mm -hmm. they do not adequately encapsulate just how lopsided this victory was for Oklahoma and how thoroughly they dominated Nebraska on the defensive side of the football. And look, There were times where they bent. There were some times where they gave up a couple of big plays. But when Nebraska got the ball to the other side of the field, 
the Sooners always buckled down, whether that was driving him backwards to force a punt or whether that was forcing a turnover. The Sooners had a couple of them today or whether that was holding up on fourth and short and forcing a turnover on downs. The Sooners defense found a way to get off the field. And that right there, Brandon, that's one of the key differences thus far this year between Oklahoma's defense here in 2022 and the Oklahoma defenses of old. Because regardless of who the opponent has been in the past, Oklahoma, on a regular basis, has struggled to get off the field on third down and fourth down. That has not been the case so far. They have buckled down and made defensive plays when they've needed them. And it speaks volumes for the new culture that's been instilled because I can't even, I can't tell you, Brandon, when Nebraska scored on their opening drive and that crowd got into the ballgame, it worried me. It started to worry me. And I think that's because the Oklahoma teams of old would probably, I, I don't want to say they would have crumbled in that type of circumstance, but I don't know that they would have reacted and responded the way that this 2022 Oklahoma team did. Even after Dylan Gabriel ripped off the 61-yard touchdown run on the Sooners' second possession, even then I figured, okay, that was a nice response. Is it going to be something that they're able to sustain? Because that's another pattern that you saw with Oklahoma in the past. They'd answer blow for blow, but then once that second blow came, that's when they started to get down on themselves. Yep. The Sooners did no such thing today. And it was a very, very encouraging performance all around. If you're an Oklahoma fan and you're speculating on where this team could go in 2022, because the Big 12 is wide freaking open right now, and we'll get more into that later, but the Sooners look like the most talented team on paper in this conference. Now it's just a matter of taking care of business the way you should take care of business. Yeah, you said something about how Oklahoma reacted to that first initial blow, and then would they be able to after the the, the Dylan Gabriel surprise run, which we'll talk about that here in a minute too. Was that enough? Was that enough to stem the tide at that point? We all thought it. We all were questioning, is Oklahoma going to be able to stop it? Because after that first drive, there was nobody in that stadium that had confidence Oklahoma was going to stop Nebraska on that second drive. Because at that point, I know you probably were thinking it. I know I was thinking it. I know the people around me in the press box were thinking it. At that point, after they went, just sliced right through Oklahoma's defense like it was nothing on that first drive. Everybody was thinking, okay, so maybe it was Kent State and UTEP that <laughs> the reason why Oklahoma was looking so good defensively and they lead in all these great categories that elite defenses lead in uh, after two weeks. And then the second drive happened. And everybody's looking around going, oh, my God. Casey Thompson, back-to-back sacks. Boom, boom, punt, boom. Oklahoma goes down, scores quickly. And I think it was after that first score, after the back-to-back sacks of Casey Thompson and that second Oklahoma or the third Oklahoma drive offensively, 
that's when I think everybody in the whole stadium kind of realized, ooh, no, this might be a long day for Nebraska. Because I know I was thinking it at that point. Like, and it was that quick, like, because you could feel it. Like, the whole, you couldn't even park it. You could feel it in the stadium. When Oklahoma goes up 14-7 on that, and they start driving, well, 7-7, seven, seven, they stop them. Case Thompson gets sacked twice, right? Boom, boom. I, I can't remember who was it. It was uh, Lulu and uh, Lulu and who else was it? Deshaun uh, White. Deshaun White. Yep. Boom, boom. Lulu and Deshaun White. Bam. And Mims runs the ball back, decent run, on a punt return. And then Oklahoma just scores so quickly. And at that point, I know you probably were thinking it too, like, ooh. This might be a long day for Nebraska because that, that was good. And I'll give Gabe Iker credit because I was talking about, I said, dude, what's your prediction? We're standing on the sideline in the end zone, just kind of chopping it up before the game. And he goes, I think Oklahoma's going to score some points, like 38, 39, maybe 40, 40 plus. And I go, really? I, I predicted 37, uh, 17. And I thought I was kind of crazy. He goes, nah, man, nah. Like, I think, I think he goes, I hope they score points I, I feel like they're going to score points and Oklahoma just dominated I Parker at one point during the maybe the third fourth quarter I can't remember maybe it's early in the fourth quarter I think Oklahoma had like 500 and something yards and Nebraska was like like 230 yeah it was no, absurd. they had they crossed the 500 yard barrier in terms of total offense before the end of the third quarter there you go. And that's that's the one thing right, that was always going to that's that's what left the door open for Oklahoma to just blow the doors off. Like you knew if the offense was clicking, there was the potential that the Sooners could show up and just skull drag Nebraska. And they did. And that speaks volumes for Jeff Levy and for Dylan Gabriel and for the way that this offense has been able to gel as a unit and play complementary football because I, I remember I got asked a question that I answered in my pregame mailbag portion of my column yesterday. And the question was, what does Oklahoma need to do on the ground against a Nebraska defense that has proven so inept against the run thus far in 2022? And I said, look, on average, Nebraska is surrendering 207 rushing yards a game through their first three contests. So if you don't run for 200 plus, you're doing something wrong. Well, the Sooners ran for 300 plus, <laughs> 305 yards, two touchdowns for Eric Gray. Marcus Major ran for a touchdown and caught a touchdown. And then, of course, Dylan Gabriel, by the way, comes up with Dylan Gabriel comes up with the longest run of his life. Yeah. On that third and seven. I feel like I, I was I was going back and forth uh, via text with uh, a friend who covers Nebraska, and one of the things that uh, they said is from out there in the press box, it looked like Nebraska just kind of gave up on that play. They kind of f- figured at some point Dylan Gabriel was going to run out of bounds, and he just never did. He just kept rumbling. And I was standing there, down there on the sidelines watching that play unfold. And, of course – and he takes the snap and tucks to run 
and they're like 60 yards away or 61 yards away to be precise, 61 yards away from the opposing goal line. They're like, okay, well, ooh, Dylan Gabriel, he's, he's going to pick up this first down. Nice. Then he makes a dude miss like, oh, oh, this is going to be a big gain for Dylan Gabriel. Then he makes another guy miss, breaks a tackle. Like, oh, shoot. He might, he might get it, get this thing into the red zone, set Oklahoma up to punch it in for a touchdown. And then he clears one final defender, like the 10 yard line. And it's like, oh, oh, Dylan Gabriel's actually going to score this. Like, this is a house call right here. Yeah. Who would have figured that the longest rush of the day would belong to Dylan Gabriel? No, I, no, I'm. <laughs> And we we talked about it last two weeks. We're like, man, we're not sure how fleet of foot he is. Like he shocks you at times how agile he is, and then sometimes in the pocket he just looks like the cement on his feet. So when he took off running, and I got to give that up to Jeff Levy, uh, to have that QB run game when nobody expected that, nobody expected that, and for it to be so successful, what showed you just how. just how good a practice they had this week. And I've talked to some people uh, before the game. Uh, Obviously we were, like I told you, we were on the sidelines away games. We get to go down more on the sidelines and chat it up with people. So obviously we were down there early, like 45, 50 minutes before kickoff. So the, the, the crowd is sparse in the stands, but the coaches and players are out there. They're doing little, the light warm up part of the, the pregame and I'm talking to a coach and they said yeah this was one of the better weeks of practice I can remember and just focused and I said well I think you guys are going to win today I will appreciate it I hope so and um, we, we joked around about some other stuff and he said no pressure no pressure uh, but, uh, yeah, it's just – you could tell. You could tell both sides of the ball. Maybe not that first drive and the first defensive possession that Oklahoma had, but after that, you could tell that everything was uber-focused. And I asked Brent Venables about that run, and I asked him, I said, "You and I bet you you may not know this stat, Parker. Did you know that Oklahoma had not converted anything over a third and seven all season long. Well, it's they not totally open. shocking to me because I'd. How many of those types of situations have they faced? Uh, I think I think they were like zero and six, zero and seven, something like. Oh, okay. Well, that's many. more than more than I would have figured. Well, right, but I mean, it, it's not many, but and it may I may be a little bit over, but. Uh, it's still significant because of the offense that they're supposed to have, right? Like they're supposed to be an elite offense. And this goes back to what we talk about, how vanilla Oklahoma was offensively the first two games. And you saw they opened that sucker wide open. And no, Nebraska's defense is not that great. It's not that great. And downright could be bad if you want to be honest with it. But you still have to perform. You still have to execute. There's still 11 guys across from you trying to get the ball. And for Oklahoma to execute the way they did all game long, they could have – and we also talked about this, Parker. They could have named the score. 
Oklahoma could have named the score. Dylan Gabriel wasn't even the game. It was like nine minutes left, eight minutes left in the third quarter. He was out. Basically, Bevel played a quarter and a half at quarterback. And people are mad that he's not getting to throw the ball. And I'm like, dude, who cares? Like, who cares? I know it probably looks better if they score 70 and they beat him 70 to 14. But what good does that do? Like, honestly, what did it? I, honestly, I think it hurts you more than it helps you because it just makes the opponent that you look that you just played look even worse than they already do look. Do you agree with that, Parker? Yes, I would think I, I, I tend to agree with that sentiment. Yeah, I mean, so my point is, is that they executed really well. And yeah, you see Twitter, all the people. Let Bevel throw, let Bevel throw, let Bevel throw. They just wanted to get the heck out of the game and get everybody out. They didn't want to injure anybody. The longer you prolong the game, the more chances you have for injuries. Yeah, That's well, and what people don't understand is Davis Bevel throws the ball plenty of times in practice throughout the week. Right? If he gets thrown into a game situation, he's not going to be unprepared. Throwing six or seven garbage time passes against Nebraska is not going to make or break the sooner season. And so if that's what people are quibbling about after a 49 to 14 victory, the fact that the backup quarterback didn't get to throw like what realistically, what do you want? Everybody wanted to get out of there, man. It was starting to get hot. The crowd was out of it. Heck Nebraska was out of it. They knew what was up as much as anybody. They pulled Casey Thompson midway through the third quarter. Nobody still wanted to be there. Everybody just no. wanted to get that game over with as fast as possible. And so, yeah, you're going to run the ball a lot in that type of situation because it legitimately does not matter from there on out. It doesn't. So just a just a little stat for you. I'm trying to do the math in my head right now. But I believe and this is this sucks for Mickey Joseph. Mickey Joseph, the last two times he's played Oklahoma as a quarterback and as a head coach, the combined score is is 94 to 24. <laughs> That's a little rough. <laughs> Yeah, not it's tough. exactly. Yeah, it's not exactly how you want to start your coaching career when you're trying to uh, basically do a live interview on being the next head coach in the for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. But uh, yeah, look, let, let's talk about Jaron Kanak or Kanak, however you want to pronounce it. It's Kanak, but everybody calls him Kanak. But Jaron Kanak, let's talk about it. That's a bad man right there. Yeah, that is well, a bad, bad man right there. Yeah, and what Brent Venable said in post game too is one thousand percent true. He said, "Look, Jaron Canick, he has no idea what he's doing out there. He's still learning to play linebacker, and you can see it, right? It's just <laughs> he's he's out there. It's see ball, get ball. He's just going, and once he becomes more technically savvy, once he settles in." at that position because he, he even acknowledged it when we got to talk to him uh, after practice earlier this week, he said, look, I haven't played a ton of defense. 
played a lot more offense than defense. And so the linebacker thing is kind of new. It's not like something I, I'm unprepared for necessarily, but it's something that's pretty new, especially with all the intricacies of playing linebacker in Brent Venable's scheme. All right, so what he was able to do today in game three of his freshman year was impressive. And did Oklahoma need it today? No, probably not. But to see a guy like that step up in the absence of somebody like Deshaun White, who got ejected in the second quarter because of that targeting penalty after he hit Casey Thompson. Mm-hmm. But to, to see a guy like Canick step up in that sort of moment when you're a bit shorthanded because of an injury here, an injury there defensively, and you have to be the guy or you don't necessarily know who's next up if you're not the guy. Uh, for him to fill the void the way that he did, it gives you a ton of confidence and a ton of belief that uh, we have not seen the last of Jaron Canick in meaningful situations in 2022. And as he continues to become better and better and more and more comfortable in practice throughout the year, this could be a guy that ends up stealing snaps from somebody like Deshaun White down the line. And what makes him, oh, yeah. yeah, what makes it all the more tantalizing is that he's so versatile. Right? Like, if it's not like, it's not like he's a guy that has to play cheetah or he's not going to be on the field. All right. We saw him rushing the passer quite a bit today. Uh, we saw him nearly come up with a couple of sacks. He had, he had the quarterback dead to rights a couple times. He had Casey Thompson all but wrapped up in the backfield at one point. He did the same thing to mm-hmm. Shelby Purdy in the fourth quarter. He should have had two sacks today. He just didn't at finish. Least. And at again, least. that's that's one of those things that, you know, a year or two down the road, he'll make that play. He'll finish that play. He came in out of control. Yep. Yeah. Because he's a freshman. Got all excited. It's like, oh, my gosh. Dead to rights right there. And he just, just couldn't control himself. And that's something that – Venables talked about that. He said, you know what? I don't even have to say a lot to that kid because he's going to watch film and he's going to be so hard on himself. And that's what makes him good. He said all the great ones are hard on themselves like that. Like He's already talking about all the great ones. And he says the same thing about Danny Stutzman. When he talks about those two guys and Billy Bowman as well, like those three, he just, he just, gushes like just gushes about those three guys all the time and i think if we asked him about uh in in our mason thomas he's pretty similar talk about him uh ethan downs uh, jalen redmond he's been a real uh high on him as well david aguebu i mean he has his guys that he's like super 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 high on and you can tell that he expects a lot out of not just the older guys, but the younger guys. I I think another guy that needs to be given a shout out, by the way, is David Okwebu. He makes all the calls for Oklahoma on defense. He sets everybody up, moves them into the right shade on the defensive line, whether they need to be a three or an in the or or the eye or Maybe they need to be in an odd man. For, I mean, it doesn't matter on how they want to shade over on the guy. He sets them up. Like, if they're wrong shade, he's he's moving them. 
there was a couple of times where there were defensive linemen, you probably saw this, turned back looking at him, asking him for direction before the ball snaps. And he's like, you're, oh, you're, I don't know what he said. You're a three, you're three tech here or you're, you're four eye shade or, you know, whatever, it, whatever it was. And he's trying to get these guys lined up and he does the same thing for the secondary. He, he has a lot on his plate. I asked Aguebu about that today and he said, look, I've had to do that before, but not to this extent. And he said, it's hard because Venables puts a lot on me and Danny, he says. He says, everybody looks to us to make these calls. So that's why you always see me moving with the hand gestures and yelling and screaming because he goes, I have to get them set. That's my job. They make the calls on the sideline. I make the calls on the field and make sure everybody's lined up where they're supposed to be and adjust to how the offense lines up. That's my call. He goes, it's a lot of film work. It's a lot of me understanding stuff. He said, between me, Deshaun, and Danny, he goes, we have to watch film all the time. And he said, if we didn't do that, we'd be lost out there because of how intricate that defense is. So uh, you got to give a shout-out to guys like that. I mean, you didn't hear a lot about Danny Stutzman today, and I don't think you heard a lot about Aguebu a lot. Like, you didn't hear their name a ton. But I thought that they played well. Um, I thought they did their job. You know, uh, Aguebu had six tackles. He was second in tackles for Oklahoma today. Ironically, I'm looking for Stutzman. Stutzman only had four. So he didn't really have a, a big day. And I thought that was kind of shocking considering how much Nebraska wanted to uh, run the ball with Anthony Grant. And it just didn't happen. Uh, but you got to give a shout out. Defensively, I mean, Parker, I mean, if you were going to give just an adjective for what you saw today, what, what would that word be? In an overall sense? In an overall sense. Oh, well, a lot of words jump to mind. Um, <laughs> honestly, and it's probably not the answer you're looking for, man, but sad. It was sad. It is sad because this is such a great rivalry, man. And for the first five minutes of that football game, I've hardly had more fun on the sideline anywhere because the place was rocking. It looked like we were going to have a competitive football game on our hands. And then, boom, two quick Oklahoma touchdowns later, and it's like the wind out of the Huskers' sails. All yeah. the life was sucked out of that building, and it was never the same. But this is just such a fun rivalry, man. This is this is supposed to be a good football game when these two teams meet. For so many years, it was a fantastic football game when these mm -hmm. two teams met. And to see how different or to see the just the stark discrepancy in where these two programs are at right now was really underscored today. Because, again, Oklahoma could have scored 80 points if they wanted to. This game was far more one-sided than even the scoreboard indicated. And it's just sad. It's sad to watch this happening to Nebraska football because, and this is oh, what I wonder, excellent. man. I think... I wonder how it's gotten to this point. 
I legitimately yeah. wonder how it's possible for a program like that with so much buy-in from the fans, so much constant excitement, so much tradition, so many legends within that community, within that program. Tom Osborne walked by me today on the sideline. I was like, oh, that's Tom Osborne. He's like 88 years old, but uh, I mean, he's he's the legend of legends, obviously. But there are so many iconic figures that are affiliated with this Huskers program. And they're so bad. They're inconceivably bad, man. Again, yeah, it's, it's at, a, at a certain point, the right coach is going to come along and he's going to push the right buttons to bring that program to relevance. But being there, taking that atmosphere in, it just made me all the more incredulous as to how things have gotten to this point for Nebraska football. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It, I mean, you hit on a completely different subject than what I was going for there, but that was a, um, it's rough to watch, man, just because, you know, we talked about it in the pregame podcast about what this the rivalry means a ton to you for a variety of reasons. Being a kid that grew up in an Oklahoma Sooner family, and then you grew up in Nebraska within an Oklahoma Sooner family. Parents went to Oklahoma. You went to OU, got your undergrad and master's from the University of Oklahoma. So and there it is. <laughs> so and so for you it's it's it has a lot of meaning, just you know, bragging rights at home, just um and yeah, it, it, people are gonna go, Well, Porker's a reporter, dude. Yeah, he's a reporter. He says he's very neutral. In times he today, there's no way in hell he should have been neutral. Like he that's his alma mater going up against his home state team. Parker should have been all about it, and he and he stayed even kill. So if he wants to brag a little bit, he can brag. That's his thing. He went to the school, got two degrees from it. So, um, uh, for me, I mean, I had some of the best times of my life watching Nebraska Oklahoma. Honestly, as a child, I'm older than you by what sixteen years. So I got to see the game of the century two in 87 when Nebraska came out in the all reds and ironically, Charles Thompson, Casey Thompson's father just went ham on Nebraska and had a great game. Him, Anthony Stafford uh, just balled out and I got to see 1985, Keith Jackson's 88 yard touchdown reverse. I was at my at my grandparents' house and watched it as my mom and dad went to the game. And so I got to see the the flip side of it. I got to watch Scott Frost and Tommy Frazier just beat the living dog crap out of Oklahoma. I got to see the 2000 game in person. I got to see the Big 12 title game in 2000. I mean, that just, like, 
it's hard to watch this because it was like you thought things were when they played last year, you thought, oh, okay, Nebraska's going to be pretty good, you know. Playing Oklahoma tough, Tina's supposed to be one of the best teams in the country, and they ended up being one of the better teams. They ended up 11-2, and two. but Nebraska didn't do anything with that game that they played in Norman. They they played the rest of the season like that game never happened. And then this year rolls around, they go to Ireland, and they lose to Northwestern, and that was that sucks because as a reporter, and I know Parker can vouch for this, folks, we hope that Oklahoma's opponents always win because we always – look, it's a bottom-line thing for us because if they come in 4-0, 3-0, whatever it is, you guys, our consumer, are more interested in the ball game. Now, this one, there was going to be a lot of interest in it anyways because it's the last time they play until, what, 2028 and 29, something to that extent, so another six years before OU and Nebraska even suited up against each other with another home-and-home. Home. So I guess what I'm saying is, is it is sad, Parker. It's very sad. But defensive performance-wise for Oklahoma – I just dominant. Like, yeah, it's dominant. Look, dude, like, <laughs> how many tackles for loss do you think Oklahoma had today? Just off the top of your head, just to guess. Seven, eight. They had nine. There you go. For 56 okay. yards, negative 56 yards for Nebraska. How many sacks do you think they had? Five? Five sacks? They had four. Oh, four. They should have had. They should have, if you would have, if you if you think about it, there was one Redmond missed. He got one, but he missed another. Kanak missed two or three. Um, Downs missed two, and he got one today. Um, Laulu missed one, but he got another. They could have had like fifteen sacks, honestly, today. The way they were just dominating Nebraska's offensive line, like, and that's not that's not even that's no hyperbole either. Go back and watch the game. How many times did uh, Chuba Purdy escape? How many times did Casey Thompson escape? A lot. That should have been sacks. So I think it was dominant. You had the turnovers, and we didn't even talk about Canucks strip, by the way. That was awesome. And I asked him about that, Parker. I said, hey. What what did you see when you did that? He said, just football instincts. Guy holding the ball a little loose, come from behind. So I just pulled, ripped, and I knew the ball was coming out. So I tracked it with my eyes and jumped on it. But the fact that he was that heady, that was the first play he was in the ball game, right? That, that was, was the like first play, play of the second half. First play of the second half. That's right. First play of the second half. That was huge. Like, because Nebraska could have gained some momentum there to start. They, they go down, they score. There's some momentum because that was a big game that just was stopped with the strip. And then Oklahoma just went, Eric Gray, just went down the field and scored instantly. But is there enough hyperboles for Kanak today? Billy Bowman, I mean, he's another guy that's just a real dude. And Key Lawrence, he played really well too. 
Like, if you, if you, it's a, Tyler Bacomas had this. He had a great thing. I was just looking at Twitter just a second ago. Three guys had the best games of their career, if you could think of them right now, for Oklahoma. One would be Jaron Canick, certainly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're talking Oklahoma career here? Yeah, yeah, Oklahoma. Yeah. Another one would be Eric Gray, without question. Okay. Um, I would say guy number three. Marcus Major. Yeah, those 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 three. Uh, so you you had you had Canick, you had Gray, and you had Major, right? Those are yeah. three that you named. Okay, he had Ethan Downs, which I would agree with. He had a great game. Uh, Javante Barnes, a really good game. It wasn't spectacular, but it was it was his best statistically for sure. He had he one run. Carried. He had one run that was really good. Seemed like he didn't. Yeah. The offensive line. He averaged too, six much. yards. He averaged six yards, and he had seven seven yards. But yeah. Um, I I don't agree. I I don't I I, I wouldn't say that. You know who else? You know who I'm gonna say that's actually kind of shocking, and you haven't said it yet. Nobody said it actually, and it's kind of weird to me because I don't think he's had a spectacular game yet in an Oklahoma uniform. And I think today was his best performance overall, considering the circumstances added and considering that his play actually changed the whole dynamic of the game. I'm going to go Dylan Gabriel. I think he that's, had his best game. As a Sooner, yeah, I would say that's very true. Also, yep. I'm looking over the stat line right now. I, I didn't realize it. First off, it felt like Marcus Major had a lot more than 35 yards on 12 carries, but I guess that's oh, all he yeah, had. He didn't, yeah. That's he weird. had a couple of receiving yards. Yeah, he had some receiving yards. Now they didn't. He didn't really get. He didn't really get uh, a chance. Like, yeah, he had twelve carries, I guess, but it just seemed like the holes weren't there like they were for Gray for some odd reason. Well, and by contrast, Javante Barnes had a lot more productive day than I realized too. Thirteen carries for seventy-seven yards. So yeah, you know, we talked saying. about. We talked about through the first two weeks, it seemed that Major had done a lot more with roughly the same number of touches. Well, in this game, mm-hmm. you look at the lines, Javante Barnes did a lot more with the same number of touches than Marcus Major did. Marcus Major did, by the way, uh, Braden Willis threw himself a nice pass on that little trick play to Marcus mm-hmm. Major. Hello. QB in high school. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. Quarterback. Yeah. yeah, he played quarterback. Uh, Caden Helms got his first career catch Very in cool his home state. Still. Very yeah. cool indeed. I, I wish it would have been a touchdown, but, you know, can't get first can't down. Get, he got a first down on a third down. It works. No, he didn't get a first down. They ended up with a fourth and short, and then they didn't convert. Oh, that's it. right. That's yeah. right. That's right. They, 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 they spotted him short, and I thought he had a first down. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jalil Farouk. He had the best game as a Sooner, by far. I would say it's between that and the bowl game last year. He had three catches, 64 yards that day. He had three Didn't for score a touchdown, he had, though, did he? He had three for 58 today. And because that was his first touchdown. <laughs> you, want to, you want to talk about a ball from Dylan Gabriel? That one he put that on was... Jalil Farouk for that touchdown catch. And I put the picture yeah. out on Twitter. He could not oh, have thrown awesome. a more perfect ball. 
Well, funny you say that. I asked him about that that exact play, kind of Jalil Farouk, uh, during the post game presser. Um, and I, I have a fairly close relationship with him, being that I was the one that always went out and saw him uh, as far as the Oklahoma reporters go. And obviously, he's Caleb Williams' best friend. So I was around him quite a bit. But uh, we were talking, and, um, and this was after the interview. I talked to him for a few minutes after everybody, the scrum broke up. And um, he said that, uh, and I, well, I asked this during the scrum too, but he said that, uh, said, well, you, you, when did you know you were going to score? He said, the second I lined up and I saw the formation, that the defense was in and the coverage they were in. He said, I knew exactly where Dylan was going with the ball. He said, so I was mentally prepared to catch that pass. He said it was a perfect call by Coach Levy, perfect read by Dylan, and perfectly placed ball by Dylan. He said it could not have gone any better because he knew that the defensive back was going to get beat just because of the leverage he was going to have because of the route he was running and the coverage they were in, which I thought that was an interesting, an interesting answer, by the way. So, uh, I think he's going to – and Dylan missed him a couple of more times. Like, there was that one post route that all he had to do was lob it up and he threw it, like, on a rope and overthrew him by, like, three yards and just didn't let Farouk just run up underneath. You remember that one? Was that the second quarter? Third quarter? I can't remember what quarter. You know what I'm talking about? Offhand, I can't remember the play. No, it would have been going towards the scoreboard. Towards the scoreboard, and he ran. Yeah, and he was running. Uh, they were Nebraska was manned up, and I don't remember what the down and distance was, or the time. I should have put it in my notepad, but I didn't. He runs like a, a skinny post, and Dylan instead of just lobbing it over, because there was nobody there. Like he had his man beat. Oh, uh, like yep. Nope. Yards. I I remember this play distinctly now. Yeah, because he missed him by a step. And, yeah, and all if do he doesn't miss him by up. a step, it's a walk-in touchdown. Yep. And that's – Farouk would have had over 100 yards receiving on that day at the point because that would have been like a 65-yard touchdown. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be a big play guy for Oklahoma, folks. I really do, Parker. I really do. I think he's going to get used more and more. As a matter of fact, when I talk to him off instead of away from the scrum, he even said, he goes, look, we open the playbook way more. He goes, I'm going to be targeted way more. Like, that's going to happen from here on out. And by the way, between the first, last, all three games this year, hallelujah, Parker. They target Marvin Mims like 20 times a game now. Oh, <laughs> that boy's having the time of his life, man. Like, and you could just, am I muted? You muted yourself. No, I'm not muted. No, you're not now. You might, you can hear me now. I can hear you now. Okay. No, I, I, I wasn't muted. I, I don't know what that was. It meant, it may have been something on your end, but regardless, uh, Marvin Mims, is having the time of his life right now. You can just tell, like, he's he's so much happier than he was a year ago, man. Like, he's just having a grand old time. And 
constantly walking around with that big beaming smile on his face. And it's understandable, man, because he's he's getting what he deserves in this Oklahoma offense. He's getting the ball thrown his way as much as a guy like that should get the ball thrown his way. And he's producing. Yeah. Right now, I think what gives you what encourages you if you're a Sooner fan is that you saw Jalil Farouk flash today. You saw Theo Weiss make one heck of a catch for a touchdown of his own. And so it's not going to be, and it doesn't have to be the Marvin Mims show. Once you get to conference play, he's still going to get the ball a lot, but it's not going to be, well, this offense goes as Marvin Mims goes. It's going to be, yeah, Marvin Mims is, Weapon A1, but guess what? If a team like Baylor shows up to Owen Field and they're like, we're going to take Marvin Mims out of this game and we're going to make sure he's not the one to beat us, Dylan Gabriel is just going to unload it to Braden Willis and Jillo Farouk and Theo Weiss and Drake Stoops, and you're still going to get burned. Yeah. No, I, hey, I you brought up how much fun he's having. Yeah, um, that was actually I, – I, was it Max Olson that was there with us today? Was that who it was? Uh, I don't know. There was a bunch of uh, – who was the reporter that came to the presser, the Kent State presser uh, in Norman on Tuesday that one time and I asked you the national guy? Andy Staples. That's who it was, Andy Staples. Anyways, that's who it was. I Max Olson covers uh, Texas more than he has covers anybody else. But um, yeah, Andy Staples asked him. He said, "You look like you're just free, having fun, doing everything." And it was like really after I asked him if he's having fun because he gets to do returns and actually gets to return now. And like he just asked, I was just we were just asking, and he just looks free, man. Like he does the way he's answering questions. He has a smile on his face. He's not worried about anything. And literally, I said, "How much fun is it to catch the ball and to be targeted all the time?" And he said, "Dude, it's fun." And then Staples came back around and said, "But you look like you're having more fun." He goes, "Literally, every day is fun here now. Like practice is fun." Hanging out with the guys is fun. Like when you know you're gonna be involved in the game game plan each and every week, he said it's obviously fun. He goes, now as a wide receiver, you're not searching to get that ball. You're not coming over the sideline going, Coach, I have this guy beat every time, you know? Like so he's having fun. That connection he has with Dylan Gabriel, I think, is special. I think that Dylan Gabriel has a really good connection with Drake Stoops. As a matter of fact, I thought the Drake Stoops connection was so evident. Oklahoma's driving, and they just ran a jet sweep to Drake, and threw a pass out to him to let. Like there was a there was a there was a possession where he had what like three he got caught three passes in a row right, and it's like I want to say it's like a third and five or six or whatever, and they're driving inside the thirty yard line of Nebraska, and. You knew exactly where the ball was going because Drake Stoops looks over the sideline, points to his guy, lines up, runs a quick slant, and right before the second Dylan gets the ball, it's out. Boom. 
first down. And that's just connection. That's eyes knowing exactly where your, your receiver is going to be because it wasn't the easiest pass. Uh, there were people in Dylan's face, and yet he still got it off. He still made a great pass. They moved them. They moved the chains, ended up scoring a touchdown later on. Uh, you're right. I think Dylan just has a connection. He's just one of the guys, right? Like he has a connection with all the wide receivers and he knows and Levy knows that they have to use every one of those wide receivers each and every game. Cause there's going to be a game this year where Marvin Mims is bracketed and they've got to lean on Jalil Farouk, Theo Weiss, Drake Stoops, Braden Willis, Jaden Gibson. Like they're going to have to lean on all those guys to make things happen. And this is how they're going to have to do it. I mean, starting to get them the ball every now and then is how you do it. Spreading, spreading the love is how they, what they say. So uh, I like this offense a lot. I think it's getting better and better and better each week. I'm interested to see because I do think regardless of the loss, the case they had, and we can close out the, the Nebraska talk now and kind of talk a little bit about next week here, but, What's your final thoughts? Give me your final thoughts before we do the K-State stuff uh, and your offense and defensive players of the game. Yeah, my offensive player of the game, I would say, is Eric Gray. And, look, he was the spearhead for Oklahoma and doing exactly what they needed to do, which is establish the run and be yeah. able to knife right through that porous Nebraska run defense from start to finish. And so was really encouraged with him and his performance, 11 carries, 113 yards, two touchdowns. If you do the quick math, that's upwards of 10 yards per carry for the youngin. So love to see that uh, defensively. I would say, I would say my player of the game is probably Jaron Kanick, even though he only really played for a half. He was in the backfield consistently, getting after the quarterback, forced the fumble, which was huge at the beginning of the second half. Man, he's got such a high ceiling. And based on that performance that we saw today from him, he's going to be tough to keep off the field over the next few weeks as conference play gets rolling for Oklahoma. Yeah. So what's your final thought? Like, what's your your all-encompassing thought on this game moving forward for Oklahoma. My all-encompassing thought is, hey, this was a on Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. My my all-encompassing thought is, hey, this this was a resounding win. Now go build on it. Kansas State's yep. a downtrodden team after losing seventeen ten at home to Tulane earlier today. Yeah, go go take it to them on your home field, the way that you just took it to Nebraska. Go do the yeah. same to TCU at Amon G. Carter Stadium. And then right now, it's looking like Quinn Ewers is going to be back in time for the Red River Showdown on October 8th. So I think the Sooners will be 5-0 and heading into the Cotton Bowl. The question yeah, is... Bradford vibes to that. That's just... Yeah. But he's Hey, he was warming up today before Texas's game without a cast on, without a sling, without anything. So he's apparently on track to heal up faster than anybody expected. So we'll see if he ends up making that start. But, man, it's all about how convincingly you can win football games between now and then. Right. How much momentum can you garner as a football program heading into what will be and what is always the watershed moment in your season 
the yeah. game that truly makes or breaks you. So what what um where do you think Oklahoma's ranked this coming week? I know there's a lot of football still to be played tonight, but I think they'll stay at six. It? If they move up, it won't be more than one spot. Yeah, I think it'll be five. But yeah. Um okay. So my all encompassing thought is just pure dominance. Uh just pure dominance, pure focus, pure intensity uh from this team and pure togetherness that you see each and every week. And it's growing each and every week. Like you can see it. You watch it on the sidelines, you watch it on the field. They have a pure understanding of each other on and off the field. And I think that speaks volumes. I I was watching the pregame warmups and I've never gotten to see the pregame warmups before. Like up close, like Parker has, they do them completely different than what we saw the past decade at Oklahoma or more under the late tenure of Bob Stoops and then Lincoln Riley. And I like it. I like it. The coaches are in, are intense. The coaches are also loving. And that love, and it goes off to what what Todd Bates said to Jordan Renaud on the official visit. You lead with love. And that's what these coaches do. And, it, it, and that's what Dylan Gabriel does. That's what all the leaders on the defense do for the young guys. And that, I, I think that's why you're seeing this team play so much better the togetherness the communication just a firm understanding of who each player is and what they're capable of and what they're not capable of you don't put them in precarious situations they just don't they're just never put in precarious situations unlike past 10 years and it's just different so that leads to the dominance when you can be together and you go you come out as a unit as one I think and you have the talent Oklahoma has. I think you're going to be dominant more often times than not. And I think, but you have to keep doing that. I think that's that's the test now, Parker, for Oklahoma is to stay level-headed after something like this. Well, and and knowing and knowing what happened to K State. That's a very good point, Brandon. Because in years past, again, this is one thing you would continually yep. see with Oklahoma. You win a big game or you win a game convincingly, start to get a little bit overconfident, and all it takes is Iowa State in 2017 or Kansas State in 2019 or Baylor in 2021, the week after you Mm -hmm. talked mad smack on social media about how the college football playoff voters, uh, the college football playoff committee undervalued you. So... Resounding win today. Don't get too far out in front of your skis. Yep. Don't get full no. of yourself. Agreed. Maintain. And look, the underdog mentality is such an overused phrase, but may I and I don't think that's what Oklahoma needs to adopt necessarily. What I think is you need to maintain the predator mentality. You yeah. need to show up every single week, not just ready to win but ready to bury somebody because that's what they did today. They came to Lincoln and poured it on and they looked determined to do so. Show me that again next week 
and the week after that and the week after that. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I think you have to you have to do this each and every week. You have to stay dominant. Each and, the great teams stay dominant. And like Venable said, and every player that you interviewed, whether you're on the road or at home, you control the volume. And he doesn't mean just with the crowd. You control the volume of what's in your head, the outside noise. And they they, they harped on that all week. And that's every – Venables talked about Park, you heard Venables talk about that. Controlling the volume, controlling the volume, controlling the pressure. He said it three or four times. Every defensive player and offensive player that we talked to in all the scrums outside of the uh, pressure room said the same thing. We're going to control the volume. Whether it's outside noise, whether it's the crowd, whether it's rat poison, like they're going to control it. They're not going to let the – that take them. That is something you heard from Jalen Hurts, and he instilled it in that 2019 team. But we haven't heard it since. It's been a while since they've had a uber focused mindset across the board with that with this Oklahoma program. So I think Oklahoma fans should feel pretty good about that, especially if they go out and handle business this coming Saturday. You should feel pretty good about things. Uh, but speaking of this, oh, before I go, my players of the game, real quickly, my players of the game, I'm going to go Dylan Gabriel. It's his best game, I thought, running, passing. He missed some easy throws, yes, but overall, he, he was he was a good game manager. He made the big plays with his arm when he needed to make big plays. He made plays with his feet when he needed to make plays with his feet. Defensively, I mean, Jaron Canick's the easy one, Parker. You got that one, uh, and it was the the right pick. Uh, I'm going to go Billy Bowman because even though his stats weren't that great, I got multiple calls from people that were watching the game or, excuse me, text messages from football people. Like, if y'all knew who they were, you'd be like, oh, yeah, they know what they're talking about. (laughs) I promise you. Uh, Big-name football people text me. Uh, said Billy Bowman is an absolute beast. The things that he did today that may not have been on the field, whether he was changing the direction of a runner, whether he was just run fit all the way across from one side of the field to the other, he was doing big things. This is third week in a row, and we've been told by multiple sources, Parker and I have, that he is a surefire All-American before he leaves Oklahoma. Everybody in the Switzer Center believes that. And you're seeing it week in and week out right now. If he can start making interceptions and doing things in the kick return game, I think that's where it's going to get scary. And he's going to start getting really noticed by national media. But anyways, okay, before we close this out, we're going to talk about K-State real quick, and then we're going to talk about Malachi Coleman and what this game means, what this game meant for his recruitment, and then we'll close this thing out. Um, K-State lost to Tulane 17-10. We didn't get to watch the game, so we don't know really what happened. Uh, something I'll dig on later on, but we got got to my hotel. He got to his parents' house or where he's staying, and we hopped right on this thing. So we the didn't one get a lot thing of that, One thing that yeah. everybody was saying on social media is, wow, that Kansas State offense is mind-numbingly boring. Which is weird, right? Because 
It's always Adrian been Martinez, boarding. Deuce Vaughn, though. Like you got a couple of playmakers like that in the backfield. Bo- yeah, but it's always ever since Bill Snyder was there, Parker. It's been mind-numbing, boring. They run the books. Bo- have you ever watched a K-State game and went, "Oh, that was super exciting"? Exactly my point. 2019 against Oklahoma. That's pretty much 2017? it. 2017? <laughs> 2017, you mean? 2019, no. Oh, 2017 is when uh, Ronnie Anderson had his coming out party yep. and won the ball game on that. <laughs> he was supposed to stay in bounds and just kind of, kind of, kind of like what uh, Kennedy Brooks did last year against Texas, where, you know, he's not supposed to do that, and he did and <laughs> scored. Tend the ball game that way, but uh, yeah, it's just but their offense is always boring, bro. Like, there's nothing super exciting about their offense, they run such an old fashioned offense, but they scheme you to death, they they run they formation you to death, is what they do, and make you so uncomfortable. They out leverage you and they just keep poking you and poking you and poking you until you get so tired that you just give up and say, Okay, I'm done. I'm annoyed, and I'm just gonna let you do whatever you want to do, and that's kind of their their how they do their offense. Is that annoying older brother that keeps poking you on the chest until you say mercy or uncle, and that's what they do offensively. They're just gonna, and then finally you break, and you give in. So, uh, I think that's that's always been the. But they do have, like you said, some big time playmakers with Deuce Vaughn, Adrian Martinez. I just, I mean, can you see them beating Oklahoma this weekend? Or next Not weekend? on the road, no. Especially at night, that's just not going to be a good. That's not a good combination for Kansas State because that 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 crowd's going to be lit, regardless of them being two and one. And Brad Venables is going up against his alma mater for the first time yeah. as a head coach. Yeah, but I mean, it's going to be lit multiple ways. They're going to be uh, lubricated up, Parker. <laughs> we had people commenting, by the way, on our message board about that. And they will uh, continue. It, 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 you no, know, because it's a phrase. They were like, yes, that's a phrase. <laughs> it does sound dirty. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, I can't see them be. I Look, I think they're a good football team. I just think this Oklahoma team, if they are who we think they are after this week, they're hitting their stride, and that's going to be scary for the rest of the Big 12, including Texas. I just don't think Oklahoma loses to Texas. I must say it right now. I'm saying it right now. Is that too early? I think it's too early in the sense that I wouldn't go that far yet, but I'm not going to fault you for having that opinion. Well, more often times than not in the past 20 years, this Oklahoma's the right pick, right? I've sure. actually, folks, honestly, honestly, when I make that pick, I'm actually going off odds more than I do know what's going to, because we don't know if when yours is going to be back or anything like that. But I do expect Oklahoma to handle business over the next two weeks. And we'll see. We'll talk. We'll talk more about that then. I'm excited for the game. Each week, I get more and more excited about that OU Texas game because it could be special if Texas handles their business too. Uh, finally, real quick, Parker. This is all you. Finishes out. 
Malachi Coleman. Talk to us. You've already talked to him. Well, so I've already made us. a few calls. And I mean, look, as I as I said earlier in the podcast, today really underscored the massive chasm that exists right now between the Oklahoma program and the Nebraska program in terms of culture, mm-hmm. in terms of coaching, in terms of talent, in terms of chemistry, in terms of everything, any terms you can put it in, Brandon. And the one thing Malachi Coleman has been adamant about throughout his recruitment is, hey, I want to go somewhere where I can win. And what I think was evident today is that Nebraska is not going to win anytime soon. The issues that that program has are not issues that get fixed overnight. And that's the that's just the reality. That's something that the administration, the fans, the players, the coaching staff, they're all going to have to be on the same page about. And they're going to have to accept that as reality. The fact that you are not suddenly going to flip this thing on its head and win eight, nine games next year. Especially in the Big Ten, no. where you've been a fish out of water for a decade. That's not realistic right now. What needs to happen is you need to figure out who your next head coach is. And that my guy, Lance Leipold, continues to make a stronger and stronger and stronger case, by the way. Um, Did they end up winning? I don't know if the game is final, but last I checked, Kansas State was up on Houston 42 to 21. Oh, my. So, yeah, Kansas looks like a they look like more than a half decent football team in the year of our Lord 2022. But uh, here's here's the deal. If you're in Malachi Coleman's shoes, yeah, you love Mickey Joseph. But can you see yourself committing to a school or at least for the first two to three years, you are not going to be relevant. You are not going to win unless your new coach, whoever he is, comes in and takes the world by storm. It's taken two years for Lance Leipold to milk better football out of Kansas than we've seen since the Mangino days. So maybe yep. bring him in and this thing turns around quickly. But can you count they're on three that? And oh. They're 3-0. They're 3-0. Can they're, you count on that? Three, three minutes left, man. 48-30. Yeah, that game's over. Um, here's, here's where I stand on all of it. And it's, I think I expressed this sentiment on the pregame podcast when we, whenever we did get around to talking recruiting, maybe I didn't. And if not, I want to rehash it. Look, I think Malachi Coleman likes Mickey Joseph the best as a person and as a coach, but I think the school he likes best is Oklahoma right now. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. All the Nebraska positional coaches are going around and telling their commits and telling their top targets. Hey, commit to the school, not the person. Because that's what you say when you just fired a coach, right? That's right, what you right. kind of have to say to keep guys on board. Well, that was Oklahoma's pitch whenever Venables just showed up. Yeah. Or whenever Bob Soups was going around. Exactly. Commit to the school. But again, that it, in, in Coleman's recruitment, that philosophy works in Oklahoma's favor. Because if he's committing to a school, he's committing to Oklahoma. I can tell you that much. If he commits to a person, and that may be what ends up happening, I think it's still too early to say it's 100% over. But if he ends up committing to a person, that per- 
that person's probably Mickey Joseph. I just don't know right now if you you as a top 100 player in the country and somebody who has been so adamant about the fact that you want to win at the next level and you want to be a part of a championship program. I don't know how you can walk into that situation at Nebraska and feel good about it. Yeah. I don't. And I think if Oklahoma didn't already hold the lead and the substantial lead at that in the recruitment of Malachi Coleman today solidified that. I think as of today, Oklahoma has pretty clearly established themselves as the team to beat. Now the question becomes what of this stalemate between him and the staff, as far as the official visit plans, that's going to have to get rectified. But if you see Malachi Coleman schedule an official visit to Oklahoma, say, I don't know, on October 15th, I think this thing's over at that point. Uh Yeah. No, I'm with you. Speaking of real quickly on some recruiting nuggets here for a second, I spoke to a few people today and was told, yeah, it's a good day. And they're, they're talking about one Peyton Bowen. Uh, who's he's at A&M. Obviously, Oklahoma, Oklahoma fans, uh, Oklahoma recruits that are part of the 2023 class want A&M to lose. And, but, but how dominant Oklahoma was today did not go unnoticed from what I'm told. And did not go unnoticed from multiple recruits. Malachi Coleman being one. Peyton Bowen. David Hicks, and I think Jordan Renaud took notice too. I think there's some things out there. Like I'm going to do some digging, more digging on Jordan Renaud. I haven't waved the white flag yet for Oklahoma. Not just yet, because I don't think Oklahoma has. They were out seeing him on uh, last night. It was Jay Valai, uh and I think Miguel Chavis were out there. So, uh, or Todd Bates, I can't remember who which. Oklahoma staff was out there. There's multiple Oklahoma staffers out there. And so um, Oklahoma got the final word. They got the final word for the visit. They got the final word as far as seeing him last. We'll see how that plays out for Oklahoma. I don't know one way or the other, but what I do know is that Oklahoma is making this very hard on Renata is making it very hard on Alabama. And that's not something that that phrase right there. And the fact that Oklahoma's already beaten Alabama out for Vickers, they've already beaten other people out like Texas and Oregon for like Vasek and Georgia out for Anthony Evans. Like those type of things were not happening. They just weren't happening. So you can't really wave the white flag in any recruitment yet because of how good the staff is. And when you, you win the way Oklahoma has been winning, how can you? They've just been dominant. And three straight weeks been dominant. They had a bad half against Kent State. And then just pick, beat the crap out of them in the second half. So, uh, yeah, this there's this is going to be interesting tonight with A&M, obviously, uh, to see. Because Peyton Bowen's there. Eli Bowen's there. Eli's not getting really recruited that hard by A&M. But Oklahoma is recruiting Eli Bowen. 
very hard, and he loves Oklahoma. Uh, I expect both Peyton uh, and Eli to be back for the K-State game. That's the expectation at this point. We'll see. We'll have more confirmation on that later on this week. We also expect uh, Ryan Yates, who's at the LSU game. LSU's losing 16-10 to Mississippi State right now. So um, things are working out well for your Oklahoma at this point. We'll see if they close it out. Uh, but, yeah, this is – it's been a good weekend, Parker. It's been a good few weeks for Oklahoma on the recruiting trail, and we'll see if it continues to do that moving forward because there are going to be some decisions made in October, and October is closing in fast. And also, don't be shocked if DJ Hicks shows up for Kansas State game this next week. Do not be shocked. His dad called it likely. So, anyways, we'll close all that. That's the post-game podcast. We'll talk about Kansas State and even more recruiting uh, on our pregame podcast coming up later on this week for the Kansas State game. So, uh, Parker, you have anything else you want to add? I have nothing else I would like to add. Uh, okay. Go subscribe to OU Insider VIP if you haven't already. Dollar for a month content galore whether that's recruiting whether that's team notes whether that's the pregame slash postgame columns that i write that i like to think are semi-entertaining they're Um, very entertaining i i appreciate that uh but yes i read never never gonna have a shortage (laughs) of content as an ou insider vip so if you haven't hopped on the train already go, go do that that's all i got yeah, and as uh, I talked up LSU losing, their punt returner just muffed a punt, and they have the ball on the ten yard or on the nine yard line. LSU does, so they could go up seventeen sixteen if this thing holds true. Anyways, Parker, appreciate you doing the podcast with me once again. Post game podcast. Uh, yeah, if you're not an OU Insider member, you need to sign up. Seriously. We've had so many people sign up and so many people sign up for the year. Like it's $75 for one year, which is like, I think it's like four something a month or five something a month. It's not very much. Obviously you have to pay that up front, but you get all of OU Insider VIP. You get my recruiting stuff. You get Parker's recruiting stuff. You get, you get everything, man. It is, it is an awesome, awesome deal for you guys. Uh, it's, it's worth it in my opinion. Uh, because you're going to get all all 247 with it, every site for 247. And then after a year, after the first year, because promos, you can't do it. Because it's 30% off right now and $75 instead of like $109. Uh, but after the first year, you get Paramount Plus with your membership. Once you pay full, you get Paramount Plus. You get like $230 in value, $20 in value for half price. Basically, you get one for free. You either get OU Insider for free, Paramount Plus for free. You pay for the OU Insider and 24-7 Sports. You get all of that. You get all, like, 250 sites. You get all Steve Wilfong, uh, Brandon Huffman, Greg Biggins, uh, whoever, all the national guys, right? You get Parker and I's team and recruiting information. Plus, you can go check out Texas. You can go check out USC. You can go check out Alabama, Kansas State, Nebraska, doesn't matter the site whoever you're interested whoever's Oklahoma going up against whoever they were going up against in a recruiting battle you can go check out and see how things are going on what they're hearing on that stuff instead of just us so you get it all it's all encompassed be the smartest college football fan there is you can get that for $75 or you can sign up right now for $1 for the first month 
then 995 afterwards. Both tech crazy, crazy good deals. And we hope to see you because thousands and thousands of OU fans are already on there with us. We keep breaking pace, but we're 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 on pace for freaking 21 million page views this month. 21 million. That's all thanks to you, Oklahoma Sooners fans. And we're on pace for also continuing every day we break a new subscriber record. And we are one of the largest 24-7 sites now because of you, Oklahoma Sooner fans. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We are blessed to be able to do that. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners postgame podcast. For Parker Thune, my name is Brandon Drum, Oklahoma 149-14 to 14 over Nebraska. We will see you guys for the pregame podcast later on this week.